0: Of all the feast days in the Church, very few speak to the time we are living in like the Feast of Christ the King, which many of us celebrated this past Sunday. This feast was established in 1925 by Pope Pius XI. However, it is so pertinent to our times. But you'd only know that if you actually checked out the original intent of the feast and not the distorted version which is in vogue today. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned before we begin let me remind you to please like and share this video make sure also to subscribe to our channel the best way to do that is to go to LifesightNews.com, top right hand side of the page click on watch and uh, from there you'll be able to see all of our video offerings at lifesite news let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost amen so pius XI established this feast with his encyclical quas primas to commemorate Christ's kingship over the hearts of all christians and indeed over all men. But here's the key. It was also over every state, nation, and society, or every organization of people. But over the last 60 years or so, this, what people call the social kingship of Christ, the idea that Christ should be treated as king over society and the civil laws, and that all the civil laws, in fact, should conform to his laws, this idea has been progressively forgotten. In fact, in a sense, this collective kind of amnesia has led to a change in the meaning of the feast. But before we look at that, the new feast, let's see what Pope Pius wanted us to learn about Christ the King in the first place. So Christ is King because he's God, but also because he has bought us with his own blood. And it's in both of these senses that he's our king. He's our king over each person, each family, each gathering of people. He is therefore also king over our nations. Now, we all know that Christ must be king of our hearts. But if we all must recognize him as king as individuals, how could we not still have that duty when we are gathered as a nation or in fact, as any other type of organization? So, what does this mean in practice? Well, it could mean a lot of things, but at the bare minimum, it means that Christ's kingly dignity demands that the state should take account of the commandments of God and of Christian principles, both in making laws and administering justice, and also in education. And those are, by the way, that's a quote from the encyclical. The state is sovereign, of course, in its, in its own proper sphere, but it's obliged to operate within the bounds of Christ's own kingship. So Christ himself told us when he spoke to Pilate, that he was a king. And this teaching goes back to the very beginning of the church, but nothing could be more important for today, for a world rebelling against Christ, than to recognize his Royal dignity and power. When Pope Leo XIII was facing similar problems decades before, he wrote in his encyclical, Temezi, and I quote, The world has heard enough of the so-called rights of man. Let it hear something of the rights of God, end quote. The silence about the rights of God represented a betrayal of Christ the King. Pius XI created this feast, and I quote, To minister to the need of the present day, And at the same time, provide an excellent remedy for the plague which now infects society. The plague he spoke of was the phenomenon in which men had thrust, and I quote again, thrust Jesus Christ and his holy law out of their lives. And worse than this, there was always the temptation for Christians to go along, to get along, to accommodate themselves to the hostile powers and pluralistic societies. The answer, the Pope decided, was not just an encyclical or pronouncement from the true doctrine. He said, in fact, such pronouncements usually reach only a few and the more learned among the faithful. But feasts reach them, he said. Feasts reach them all pronouncements speak once and then they may be forgotten, but feasts speak every year, in fact, forever. And the Pope went on to explain, for people are instructed in the truths of our faith and brought to appreciate the inner joys of religion far more effectively by the annual celebration of our sacred mysteries, end quote. So what he says speaks beautifully to the importance of the Mass and the Church's liturgical life. In fact, he said, the Church's teaching affects the mind primarily. Her feasts affect both mind and heart and have a salutary effect upon the whole of man's nature. Man is composed of body and soul, and he needs these external festivities so that the sacred rites, in all of their beauty and variety, may stimulate him to drink more deeply of the fountain of God's teaching, that he may make it a part of himself and use it with profit for his spiritual life." End quote. So, in some sense, it seemed that Pius XI's plan worked, as the various revolutionary governments seemed to falter, or at least were limited behind the Iron Curtain. But over the last six decades, the doctrine behind this feast has been neglected. It's forgotten. It's distorted. As Pius XI actually predicted what happened, the Church has slowly lost her immunity and taken a place among kind of false religions and we have arrived at our current situation. The Church's mission, life, and rights are all subject to the civil state. In fact, they're only tolerated at the whim of our national rulers or our international rulers today. The liberty of the Church is essential, and the Church's freedom is at the heart of the kingship of Christ. You know, in the same encyclical, in Quas Primas, He teaches us that, and I quote, and this is probably the most important quote, the church founded by Christ as a perfect society has a natural and inalienable right to perfect freedom and immunity from the power of the state. The church cannot be subject to any external power in the exercise of her mission. But as these ideas have been neglected and hushed up, the state has been more and more able to subject the church to the state. In fact, let's cast our minds back to the lockdowns of 2020 and even continuing into 2021 in in some places. How many men purporting to be our shepherds in the faith spoke against the enormous state overreach in shutting our churches and forbidding the sacraments? You know, it might be legitimate. For the Church to do these things to herself, but it is contrary to Catholic teaching to think that the state can do this, or even to stay silent in the face of the state doing such things. The state now thinks that it can shut down the mass, inject us with goodness knows what, and have us beg the officials of the state for religious exemptions. This is absurd. This is craziness. Each compromise leads to the next and would our backs be so against the wall with the vaccine mandates if our shepherds had stood firm against the lockdowns? I think the answer's obvious. It's all the more shameful when we look at the heroic examples of history. There have been many brave men who have stood and bled for the rights of Christ their King and His Holy Church. St. Thomas Becket, for instance, was martyred for maintaining the liberty of the Church against the King. St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher were martyred for refusing to acknowledge Henry VIII as the head of the church. In fact, we have even seen children give us this example. When Pius XI released his encyclical, the world had just emerged from a terrible, terrible war and various revolutionary governments were rising up and persecuting the church. Consider, for example, the famous little Yoselito. The 14-year-old Mexican Jose Sanchez del Rio, the communist Masonic Mexican government led to the persecution of the church and the Cristero War, and Yoselito's brothers joined up to fight for the church and their nation, but Jose was not allowed to, neither by his mother nor by the Cristeros. But in spite of all this, he eventually found his way in, and after many brave deeds, he was captured by the communist forces. These wicked men, already responsible for so many murders and crimes, ordered him to renounce Christ the King or die. They tried many means to break his resolve, but he knew that Christ was King of Mexico and he would not betray him. In the end, the communists cut the soles of his feet off and made him walk through the town to his grave. And all along the way, They offered him the chance to save himself by renouncing Christ. But in response, this brave little boy would only shout, I will never give in. Long live Christ the King. Or in his own native tongue, Viva Cristo Rey. And that same cry, Viva Cristo Rey, was his final cry when they shot him. And many other Mexican martyrs as well. Just like Father Miguel Pro who, actually whose feast we celebrate uh, today, um, died with the profession of Christ the King and Christ's kingship on their lips. You know, this is all recent history, and these heroic deeds are the deeds of men, women, and children, flesh and blood, just like us. God gave them grace, and he's giving us that grace too. It is the duty of bishops, especially to defend the immunity and liberty of the Church, and if they desert their posts, the state will pick up the reins. If we do not also profess Christ as King over our society, we should not be shocked when the state oversteps the mark. But as we said, the doctrine and the feast have been sort of neglected over the years, and their meanings seem to have changed for many people. The original readings and prayers of the Mass of Christ the King all speak about the present and absolute sovereignty of Christ. But the new ones, well, they speak about the end of time. The new readings place the importance on Christ's reign over our hearts, while the old ones teach us that his rule extends over civil society as well. And what's more, the feast itself was moved from the last Sunday of October to the last Sunday of the liturgical year, a Sunday traditionally associated with the end of the world. We are clearly supposed to see his kingship in an eschatological kind of a sense as coming at the end of time, but we can actually see the full uncensored meaning of the feast in the old hymn of the divine office for the feast. Listen to these two verses from that hymn. May the rulers of the world publicly honor and extol thee. May teachers and judges reverence thee. May the laws express thine order and the arts reflect thy beauty. May kings find renown in their submission and dedication to thee. Bring under thy gentle rule our country and our homes. These two verses have been removed from the hymn, and they haven't been replaced with something similar either. The implication is clear. We're abandoning Christ's rights over civil society. Christ is made into a kind of figurehead king, and the state is allowed to take his place as the true sovereign power. We know that Christ will return and put all his enemies under his feet and make all things new. Indeed, then, his rule will be consummated, and every knee shall bend to him, our glorious king, This is not when he will become king. He is king already, now. Christ does not want to dethrone the kings and rulers of the world, but rather for them to recognize his authority and rule in accordance with his holy law. But the betrayal and consistent failure to profess Christ's kingship over our society has led us to a place where the state can do whatever it wants to us, and with all the cooperation of our supposed shepherds. Some of us will have marked this feast this weekend, and others last the last Sunday of October. But whenever we did so, we cannot accept an uncrowning of our King. And what's more, Christ will not accept it either. From the encyclical of Pius XII, we read, not only private individuals are bound to give public honor and obedience to Christ, but also rulers and princes. And this Pope had hard words for those who seek to remove Christ from the life of a nation. He said, and I quote, Christ, who has been cast out of public life, despised, neglected, and ignored, will most severely avenge these insults. End quote. In a parable in the Gospels, Jesus tells us of certain wicked citizens who said to each other, we will not have this man to reign over us. Well, when that king returned, they were all put to death. God is certainly far above us, but that does not mean that we do not need to be concerned with honoring and protecting his rights and praying for those who are, at least for now, making themselves his enemies. For LifeSight News, this is John Henry Weston. May God bless you. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to LifeSiteNews.com, because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms, too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform. And we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, We are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to LifeSiteNews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of news reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parlor, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.